Hey, listen up, spuds. This is Zap Brannigan, eh? master of time, space, and everything else in between. And, uh, oh, yeah, winner of this year's Modesty Award. Yeah. You're listening to You Suck. What's the difference with Al and Tom? You're one stop for this sort of thing. Yeah. Hey guys, hey. <laughs> how's it going? Welcome to What's the Difference podcast. Uh, I'm late. You, uh, you're pregnant? Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's risky I'm business. Yeah. Oh no, is it mine? I can't afford any more kids, Alex. I really can't, dude. I, three's too many. Um, I'm Tom Bruno. You, John Bruno? <laughs> Did you just call yourself John? Yeah, yeah, totally. I call myself John. I forget my name all the time. I'm like, who is that guy in the mirror? <laughs> Who's that man in the mirror? No, I'm Tom Bruno. I'm also very, very tired. By the way, you're late. I'm extremely tired. We have an amazing guest. This is going to be uh, quite the episode. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I'm very, very honored to, to introduce our guest today, actually. Uh, a very, very well accomplished actor. And uh, I'm, I'm, we've just been chatting backstage. And I know this is going to be a great show. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeffrey Weissman. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeffrey. No expectations. No. Oh, God. <laughs> Hello. Hey. So prior to we got Vermont and uh, Shrewsbury Shrewsbury. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like I told him where you're from or something before the show. It's amazing. He's, he's yeah. a brilliant man. Um, he doesn't know where Shrups, uh, Shrups, uh, how do you say it? Shropshire. 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 Oh, you do know where Shropshire is. I will. As once again, like I, I kind of, have a understanding like we've we've been through this but we actually did an episode like a little bit ago where we he kind of like showed me stuff like where people are from that we talk to on a daily basis and i'm like where where's tom from not me the other tom i'm like where are you like what's your place look like and we, we very dangerously we always talk to each other in the on the phone in the car so he'll be like oh look look where i'm driving right now and i'll be like oh that's that's beautiful blah blah um so i i have an uh, a slight understanding of where he is, but if you were to drop me off in the UK, be like, Tom, find me Alex's house. I'd be like, um, Buckingham Palace? I, I, I could laugh smugly, but I'm the same. Jesus Christ, America's huge. You could drop me off at the bottom of your street and I'd still be like, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> where? <laughs> you, I'd be like, oh, there's 50 chickens right there and three naked kids running around outside. That must be Tom's house. Hi, Tom. My, the, my first time driving in the UK outside of Heathrow, I got into a roundabout, which I've, uh, you know, first of all, driving on the other side uh, was right brand new side. to me. And then uh, the right driving on the right side, right side and get into the roundabout. I couldn't get out of it. I was going in a circle for 10 minutes and people honking every time I'm trying to get over. I could not figure it out. It was. Yeah, <clears throat> it was exciting. We got we got roundabouts over here too, but they're not like that. Like British roundabouts are very famous for being incredibly hard to get out of unless you're actually from the UK where you have a better understanding about it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's like Le Mans, right? Like, y- y- yeah, yeah, driving the roundabouts is like driving Le Mans, right? That's why I was yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah. actually, uh, the, the, the where I'm from, well, I'm really, well, the town over from Shrewsbury is Telford, and that's like the land of roundabouts. It's literally more roundabouts in Telford than there are anywhere else in the bloody Europe. It's uh, great. I'm not it's going a, there. Yeah, 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 yeah no one is. Come to Shrewsbury. We got castles and shit in Shrewsbury. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a proper hiss. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. 
so so me and Jeffrey were talking a little bit before you got a, got here, um, which is not a jab. It's just what we're doing. No, no, and no. Um, I asked him um, because he was saying, um, do you want to tell everyone who you're going to be portraying other than wh- tell tell them why you look the way you look right now and then tell them yes. who you're going to be portraying. So that I'm going to be get- I'm going to be portraying uh, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> you're beautiful sir you really are i i think you're you're pulling off stunningly i i i feel like you know there's nothing needed you you could put on that skin tight outfit right now and i would be like that's scarlett johansson right there it's amazing it's the same mustache in, in, fa- in, in fact jeff is going to show us the suit right now go and get the talcum powder we'll see you in four hours I've been working on a project uh, when the pandemic hit. I was like, I'm an actor. How the hell am I going to sustain a living uh, now that theaters are closed down, production is shut down on most shoots and so on and so forth. So I started developing a a series called Mark Twain's American History. UK history comes into play quite a bit, too, in Twain's writings and and his own life. Um, So I I just shot a proof of concept. uh, Both I had the huge pandemic fur. So I played Simon Wheeler, the guy who tells Twain the jumping frog story, the famous jumping frog of Calaveras County story. And then I shaved that and then turned around and played Twain bookending the story to give an idea of what the series is all about. So that's why I'm sporting this currently. Um, why? I mean, obviously, you know, one of the most famous writers of all time, you know, great American author. But why Mark Twain? What interests you about him so much? Uh, about 10 years ago. I was cast as Twain in a uh, movie that PBS has been showing and streaming called uh, Jerusalem Dreamland, Mark Twain in Jerusalem. It was originally called, uh, <laughs> what was the original title? Mark Twain in the Holy Land. And I went to Israel and, and uh, we recreated Twain's 1867 trip on the first commercial cruise line where he was reporting for five different newspapers. And... When he got back from that trip, he bought back all the letters he wrote to those newspapers and formed his first book, The Innocents Abroad. And that was the best-selling book during his lifetime. And I didn't really know that much about Twain. I'd read Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer as a kid, but The Innocents Abroad I had never read before landing that role. So I was having to study. And it kind of opened a treasure trove for me. I, I learned more about Twain and more about Twain after the project. And now I have a bibliography of over 30 books, including his three autobiographies, which are seven to 900 pages each, three volumes. Uh, and there's and there's two different versions of the autobiographies. Or one's a biography and one's the other autobiography. And nonetheless, I've culled all these different uh, stories that deal with very timely events during his lifetime. And a lot of them pertain to our times. Now there's abolitionist and imperialism and suffrage and so on and so forth, human rights, animal rights. And I think these would make really fantastic episodes for a series. So I've been developing that. Knock on wood, I'm going to make myself uh, relevant and vital and sustainable. Fuck yes. Um, Didn't Mark Twain have like something that he said released like 50 years after my death or something along those lines? He he wrote a hundred years. Okay, I thought it was a hundred, but the hundred sounded like a long time. I was like, I don't think it was a hundred. Maybe it was fifty. Um, has that- he did that he, because uh, he kind of he was a no holds barred kind of guy who would say it like he thought it was, and often it was the truth, and sometimes it wasn't, but it was his truth. And uh, he, example, you know, was associated with Bret Hart, 
who he co-wrote a book with and, and was, a, I guess, a journalist with and so on and so forth. And he knew that Bret Hart had a second wife in London. But that was not public knowledge. He didn't want people to know about that side of Brett and other people that he had in his life. He didn't want their children to know some of the secrets that he knew. And so he, he said, not for 100 years until after I'm gone will I allow this to be published. And most of it did stay secret. Some of it snuck out from uh, people who had access to his biographies or journals or notes or what have you. Uh, and, and also he was kind of an ornery cuss. He even admitted since he was a little kid, he was an ornery cuss. And uh, even if he was wrong, he still stuck by his guns on a lot of things. So uh, I think a part of it was he didn't want his own kids to to uh, feel the brunt of his shortcomings. So there's, there's a lot in the mix. Wow. Wow. I did, I did. I brought up the picture of Twain there, and I'm gonna say you've done a really? great job. I was about to say I thought that was a picture of Jeffrey. To be totally honest, like, why are you pulling the pictures of Jeffrey in front of Jeffrey? What are you doing this for? You're blocking the man. He's right there, Alex. Stop it. I'm right here. Yeah. I can hear you. Um, most famously, of course, um, and this is what it kind of led into. Um, you you played a very significant role in one of my favorite films of all time, Whoa, which we got yeah, exactly. Pale Rider, man. I mean, that was such a great movie. I, I've seen it so many times. Um, no, Back to the Future 2 and 3, sir. You know, the the uh, Robert Zemeckis uh, greatest film, you know, I think wasn't Steel Spielberg involved in that somewhere, somehow? I don't even remember anymore. No, no. no. So, okay, so, so a little background information, Jeffrey. Um, I work a night shift and I worked from 11 o'clock at night until 7 o'clock this morning. I went canoeing with my family, um, you know, not down the Mississippi or anything, but, you know, just across the pond. And, and then I came here and did this. So I have been awake for, oh, about 26 hours now. So I, if I wow. say things that are stupid or make no sense, just be like, oh, he's sleep deprived or he's, you know. I will fit right in. We'll, oh, we'll yeah. You know, and, and Alex, what are you smoking? It's just a vape. Vape. We're ex-smokers. I see. Um, and, you know, I really do um, appreciate you looking after... Uh, we were about to go into Back to the Future, but I thought I'd better throw this in there before we start getting into some McFly talk, because um, uh, you looking out for yourself as an actor and, and the, the industry has been hit hard. And the reason why I wasn't going to be on the show tonight was I was going to go to a play. Um, that the, it's, it's been like a school of rock project type thing that's going on in Shrewsbury because uh, it's bouncing back now and so you know you you portray yourself as Twain put a lot of hard work into all of this thing that you're doing I, I really do appreciate that and I, you know I applaud you for that so before we get into back to the future hopefully it'll good sell luck. good yeah, luck thank you. good <clears throat> luck you know um now let's do this <laughs> back to the future how many times has someone shouted McFly to you down the street? I mean, it must have happened. Comic cons, things like that. Uh, well, uh, it, at at fan cons, yeah. Uh, at, at, on the street, in general, people don't recognize me because I was in such heavy prosthetic makeup. Uh, ah, okay. And and often, I'll even at cons and other events when I say, you know, I was George in Part Two and Part Three, that they'll look at me and go, "No, you weren't." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I was," but okay. Um, part of the, the reason of that, not only was the uh, prosthetic makeup so thick, you know, I was in the makeup chair four hours a day for all the makeups, age George, age 17, 47, and 77, 47 in part three. Uh, but also the, the studio kind of 
clap down on me uh, for promoting myself. And they, you know, they wanted obviously to keep me a secret because little did I know they didn't have the rights to the makeups that resembled Crispin, you know, the original George actor. Uh, and so it was very frustrating for me for many years. I, I wasn't kind of discovered until probably the late nineties by the DeLorean owners. They started really? bringing me into their conventions and such. And, and I was often entertaining or MC or the host for their auctions, what have you. I so thought you about this. I thought you were about to say that because of all the cocaine they were selling out of the back of their DeLorean. Right, they, they had the hubcaps passed around. You know, would you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Get that George McFly guy over yeah, here. He, he likes cocaine. Was, we all do. It was supplied by Margaret Thatcher. So it was very, it was, it was very. Uh, uh, if, it, if it was supplied it was, by Margaret Thatcher, it would be 25% of the strength and fucking boring as shit. Like <laughs> <laughs> I see there's a new series on DeLorean coming out too. I, I narrated, in fact, uh, just a year or two ago, uh, a DeLorean Living the Dream, a documentary, uh, which came out great on uh, DeLorean owners, the the time machine owners and the Back to the Future fans and uh, uh, look for it. It's it's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful documentary. And my pussycat wants to be a part of this. Nice. Uh, what's it say about me that if somebody was to tell me that they owned a DeLorean, I would assume that they're a drug addict. But if somebody owns a time machine, I'm like, oh, you're a huge Back to the Future fan. Like, it's such a weird jump because it's so iconic, that car, for that one thing. Even though, like, the, the car itself and the person who created DeLorean have such a long tail behind them and, you know, such a interesting story that you're just like, whoa. Like, but it's never associated with that. It's always associated with Back to the Future, period, flat out. Uh, pretty much. I mean, the, you, you have even celebrities like uh, I, I have a friend who works at uh, works at Skywalker Ranch, and he brought his DeLorean over there to um, work one day. And he came out one day, and there was a guy uh, checking out his car. And and uh, when he got closer, he saw it was Tom Cruise. And and Tom Cruise was like, um, you know, is this is this a DeLorean? And uh, it was like, yeah, yeah. Are you Tom Cruise? You know, anyway, there's my my little monster truck, DeLorean. Can you see that in the share screen? There. Whoa! What the fuck is that? That's <laughs> <laughs> Marty, we got to go 16 miles an hour and get two miles per gallon. I think it's huge. The, these guys, they there's a uh, one guy. I think the same guy who made the monster truck, DeLorean, also cut DeLorean's together, cut them up and put them together into a DeLorean limousine. Uh, they, these shows are really quite fun. They're electric DeLoreans. There's pimped out DeLoreans and bright cherry red and, uh, you know, a lot of really fun, creative stuff with a pretty, you know, every, everyone seems like it's brushed uh, stainless steel, you know, or, you know, they all look the same, but they're not. And it's pretty fascinating and fun. And they're, you know, awards for, creativeness or the lowest miles on the original uh, car or custom colors from the dealership, you know, so it's interesting and fun. And the people are super sweet. In fact, when unfortunately my wife uh, had a little touch of brain cancer about 10 years ago um, and uh, to help her health fund, the glory owners gathered money and sent them to her health fund. It was really lovely. And, you know, good, big hearts. Oh, that's um, amazing. And they found me. They adopted me when the, the, <laughs> the rest of the world kind of like didn't know or cared who the heck I was. Uh, and then shortly after, 
yeah, I guess in the, in the uh, about 2008, 2009, I did my first cast reunion for the trilogy and uh, uh, have once in a while done a few uh, reunions. Like London Film and Comic Con was the biggest one, I think, outside of the United States where we had 11 of the cast members in uh, 2015. And that was a lovely show. We had 5,000 people at our panel hanging on our every word. It was great. And it was also the first convention that Michael did. Uh, the owner of the show I ran into at a, a Doctor Who convention, the uh, Galfrey one. He said, Jeffrey, oh, we love having you over. How, how can I get Michael and Tom to come to a reunion? And I was like, well, maybe offer Michael the same money you're giving him to his charity or something. And, and it worked. Whatever he did, it worked. Excellent. And that's that's beautiful thing. I mean, because really, you know, it it's it's important to have Michael J. Fox around because you know we, we're not sure how much long we will have him. So to get him to come out and you know do Back to the Future whenever he can would be you know amazing because he's such an obviously an important part. Um, the interesting thing though, Jeffrey is, and I don't know, I don't think it's actually that interesting. Just the the funny thing is, I kind of noticed that you weren't Crispin Glover back when I was a kid. Like I knew when I watched, it, I was like, there's something different. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I guess I kind of recognized that you, you obviously were not him, but and so many people were tricked. I, I find that amazing that like little kid me could tell the difference, but so many people were, were tricked. It's, it's very, I mean, not to take away from the makeup, of course, because makeup was phenomenal, but it was always just something. I was like, huh, this just seems a little, little different, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. A little different. The the full the full front there uh, doesn't look right at all. It, it kind of uh, looks funky. Um, but if I bring it up, if you'll indulge me for a second, oh, I'll find it. Show uh, right. Uh, see, you know, search and search and destroy here. Um, <laughs> this one uh, that I'm bringing up, um, if I can figure out how to get back to share screen. Um, this one was a, a continuity Polaroid that I, I grabbed where you can see the profile definitely looks like him. Oh, absolutely. Like if, if you were to, if you were to drop that picture off and be like, Oh, look, there's a picture of Chris McLover. Like, yep, that's him. Totally. Him. It was, it was definitely taken from his life mask. And when he, uh, you know, sued for uh, use of his likeness, I, I didn't know they didn't have the rights to his likeness in my makeups. Uh, and I, you know, openly t spoke with him about that, and it, and he, with my, you know, information and photos, won his case, uh, or it, it didn't ever really go to court. It settled, I think, before it went on long uh, in court, uh, but he got his three quarters of a million dollars. You know, you I don't see why he still complains, <laughs> I, especially over my work. I, I was thrown in in the eleventh hour. You know, they had obviously no idea whether they had him or not. I just a couple of weeks ago was going through my script part two and part, part three paradox was the name of it uh, for my scene. Say in 2015, there were about six or eight rewrites in one of them. Marty is in the ortholev hanging upside down. You know, it's, there's all sorts of, they were like, what the heck are we going to do? We don't know if we have George or not. And uh, and I guess you know because the makeup worked in in the screen test enough to to make me resemble him, to tie in with footage of him, you know, quick shots of close-ups of him from the first film to uh, rework the re Enchantment Under the Sea dance and and the fight with Biff out in the parking lot. Um, they you know 
strung it together and, and wove it together, and made it work. And that's why, you know, most people don't think it's a different actor. And that's why I get, no, you weren't George. <laughs> Cause I did my job, you know, I, I think the biggest shock that I ever came across um, while watching Back to the Future um, wasn't even that necessarily recognizing that you were playing um, playing George. I think it was the day that I realized that Billy Zane was in that movie. Like I was oh, rewatching yeah. it, and I'm like, "Is that the fucking dude from Titanic? What what's he doing there? What's is that the <laughs> under the sea? Did he sink in the Titanic? Is that why? Well, he was in the first film. He was part of of Biff's gang." Yeah, he had the toothpick in his mouth. He never said a word. And you're like, so he's in one of the biggest James Cameron films of all time. And yet you put him in this movie and you didn't give him a single line of dialogue. That's that's well, a lot of trust right there. It's, you know, Billy, uh, I, I when we were shooting those in Chapman Under the Sea Dance and, and uh, Biff fight with George in the parking lot, those are really long nights, long hours. So uh, when I wasn't uh, being used and Billy wasn't used, um, I don't know if you guys know this term, but I had mixtapes on cassette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd go man. over to Billy, Billy's trailer and we'd play music all night. And, and Billy was great. He knew uh, the lyrics to every song I would put on the, uh, on the mixtape. You know, uh, Billy's a great guy. Here's the uh, last time I saw Billy at uh, Comic-Con in, in San Diego. Um, you, I, you guys I love um, I think so. I think we can. Yeah, with Jam. Look at that. I love. Oh wow, that looks. It's so weird seeing you like that because, like this, the way that you look right now, I'm like, oh, that's clearly what Jeffrey looks like all the time. When that's not what we look like at all, it's incredible. Um, Billy, I I love because he did this really silly movie. Um, it was a Tales from the Crypt movie, um, Demon Knight, and like that was another one of those things. Like you know, I I saw that and I didn't know where else what else he was in. And then you obviously you get a little bit older and you start piecing stuff together. They're like, oh, I, I've seen him in this and I've seen him in that. I loved Demon Knight so much as a kid. And then I saw Titanic later on. I was like, whoa. I'm like, that's the that's the demon guy. And he's not cursing and shooting out demons from his penis. What's oh. what's going on in this movie? Oh, yeah. Or or Deadcom. Do you see him in Deadcom? No. No, no, oh, no. Where no. he, uh, um, what's the actor's name? Nicole Kidman, one of, I think it might be one of her first films. Uh, he takes over the boat. And gets rid of you know her, her character's husband gets, sends him overboard. Oh, he's a great Aussie actor. What's his name? I can't think of it. Anyway, uh, and and the, you know rapes Nicole Kidman's character, and he's just this evil motherfucker. You know, it's uh, pretty amazing. And uh, he did a knockout job in that. What I'm hearing is Billy's always doing something shitty on boats, apparently. Whether he's chasing after the rich chick or raping Nicole Kidman, Billy's just he, a bad guy to have on a boat. Well, he was uh, he was part of the Actors Gang, which I've been working with during the pandemic. They have a, a salon offshoot of the Actors Gang called the Cabinet of Oddities. And every couple of weeks we'll go in with a theme and come in character and and just jam for a couple hours, both doing offerings, you know, with monologues or poetry or song and then improv. And it's been really great to flex the creative muscle and feel kind of vital. Uh and, and it's, you know, Billy hasn't come to those, but Tim Robbins has dropped in and uh, my friend Lee Ehrenberg from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and, and Ron Campbell, who helped form the Actors Gang. It's uh, really fun to be at least virtually working with creatives. And then in the UK, uh, I got hooked up with the show must go online folk. Um, a, a Facebook friend named Ian Drescher had adapted uh, Star Wars and Mean Girls and Back to the Future as if Shakespeare had written them. <laughs> and this company that was sort of ready to rock Zoom productions 
when the pandemic hit and lockdown hit, um, they produced his his shows. And when he posted on Facebook that they're going to do his version of Back to the Future, I was like, are they casting? And he goes, I don't know. And <laughs> so I, I wrote them. When they found out who I am, they said, what part would you like to play? I would, you know, come on, I'm bring it on. I said, how about Doc Brown? Yeah. So they gave it to me and I play Doc Brown in the Shakespearean version of Back to the Future called Get Thee Back. And it's free up there on, on YouTube. And of course, it's all here in my living room where I, you know, I have, because I've played Doc Brown for my friends with Time Machine DeLoreans that need a doc. And I, I have the mind reading helmet and the, you know, the Doc Brown's glasses and all you know, the various props. So I was kind of ready to go. And my wife was my art director, my costumer, and my uh, my Our camera. Wife's you know. amazing. Wives yeah. are just the best. We love they? wives. Wives, and, yay! Right. Uh, like when I had to climb up the clock tower, she just you know took my computer and turned it this way. <laughs> she, she gave you the Dutch tilt. <laughs> yeah, she was great. She was she was everything during that production. So so check it out. It's kind of an abbreviated version of Back to the Future, but uh, really fun and as if Shakespeare had written it. The, Can, uh, the nice fun thing about this whole thing, Ian Drescher, the writer thing, he didn't know who I was, even though we were <laughs> Facebook friends. He didn't realize I had played George. And and since then, we're not friends on Facebook anymore. I don't know what happened to Ian. Where'd you go? Uh, he he got really intimidated, like I am right now. He's like, oh, I can't talk to George McFly. He's going to think I'm a fucking idiot. He's, McFly! He's <laughs> Either that oh. or he's, he's a Crispin loyalist. Or, yeah. he didn't like, or he didn't like my performance. Mm-hmm. I, I liked your performance, sir. I what found you to be think? far more believable as George McFly than Crispin ever was. And that's not to take anything away from him. I'm just saying yours was better. And I, I happen to like number two more than like one. I'm just saying. Oh, no. Three yeah. is my favorite. Three you know, I thought number one, he, he knocked it out of the park in part one. He was fantastic. Yeah. I called him and said, man, you, you were great. No, he didn't return my call at the time, but. <laughs> You got him a lot of money in the end of it. I think he can forgive you now. I think it, I think it's okay. I, I oh, I, I called him after he got his settlement. After I I knew a guy who signed the check for the quarter <laughs> million dollars, and so I called him up. I said, "You want to take me to dinner?" And he was like, "I'll talk to you later." Click. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> What's more important guy, than the money, the money, or the support that you got from the fans now? Because well, I, that's I feel- that's just it. It is the support, especially the fans in the UK. A lot of yeah. them have become very good friends. I, uh, like I mentioned, I, I've done a few shows over there, and they're they just uh, I don't want to say adore me, but they've uh, become really affectionate in many ways. Where uh, you know they uh, have become good friends, and nice. I love going over there. I have cousins in London, and and my my grandmother on my father's side was from Mayfair, and. I, I, I'm not really an Anglophile, but I have for many, many years adored doing Shakespeare and Marlowe and, and uh, Renaissance fairs and, and Charles Dickens Christmas fairs where I play multiple characters from Dickens. And uh, really to go over there and, and explore the Cotswolds or Oxfordshire and, and Bath and, and Bristol. I'm going to get to Shrewsbury. I will have to see your castles. Yes. <laughs> it's his. It's a, he, Alex actually owns them. It's so weird that you mention it because they are his uh, castles. I'll have you know I am the voice of Shrewsbury. Really, he really is. Like, okay, yeah, that, yeah, I'm like, yeah. That, that is true. Shrewsbury. Yeah, they'll, they'll give me the key to the town one time. Am I saying it right? Shropshire? Shropshire. Yeah. Shropshire. yeah, yeah, yeah. Close enough. Um, so, Jeff, we, we know where it goes, but how does it all begin for you, sir? Where, where do you start? Where were you born? Oh, oh, I was born at a very early age. 
Um, <laughs> where are you? Yes, Amazing. Uh, in this hospital because I wanted to be near my mother. Um, <laughs> I didn't know I was, I was raised in LA, born in Glendale and had uh, sort of a kind of Hollywood influence growing up. I, I would see stars from time to time. Uh, my mother was a bail bonds woman, you know, help people post bail to get out of jail. She had bailed uh, Winston Churchill's daughter out of jail for, uh, <laughs> for pot. Uh, she, she bailed Lenny Bruce out of jail a few times because uh, his attorney was best friends with my dad growing up. Um, my dad either owned or managed various private clubs for bridge and backgammon, you know, uh, private gambling clubs. And people like Omar Sharif and Lauren Green was a business partner and Omar Sharif and Don Adams played at his club. And, uh, and I would meet them from time to time. I got kidnapped as a, a little toddler by Chico Marx's uh widow hidden under the card table looking up old ladies dresses uh, uh for an hour i was like what am i doing under here Shh, it'll be a fun joke get under the table uh, anyway um, <sighs> so and then i would find sh shoots on location like the there was an old show called the fbi Efren Zimbalist jr was shooting in my neighborhood and i had just graduated from sixth grade maybe or fourth grade anyway it was grade school and uh i recognized an actor named uh uh and now i can't remember his name he had a show called the second hundred years monty markham and i recognized him he liked that the kid recognized him and uh, he got called to set he was a guest star and this other actor this character actor said what do you got there you're a punk card kid you want to be an actor i said yes i want to be an actor and he looked at my report card and said uh, uh a in english should be in science what's this d in math a D in math, kid. How are you going to know if your agent's cheating you or not? You got to do better in math. And so I'd get encouragement and mentoring. My parents never wanted me to be an actor. They saw, you know, the actors swearing and drinking and gambling all day at the club. Or, you know, my mom was a bail bonds, but saw him in jail. Uh, and so they wouldn't really let me pursue acting like I saw other kids that I went to school with. Uh, Anissa, Anissa Jones from Family Affair and... Uh, Lisa Gerritsen from uh, Second Hundred, or was it uh, My World and Welcome to It? Uh, Terry Nunn, you know, from Berlin, the band Berlin, she was acting uh, all through high school. I was good friends with her. It's, so I could never keep up with the, my friends who were professional actors because they wouldn't let me. But I acted in school, like I said, doing Shakespeare and whatever stage shows I could in community theater. Then when I was out of school, bam, I, I got on some studio lots by signing up with a company that supplied extras and crowd uh, personnel for shoots on films like FM and the Rose with Bette Midler and Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. I, I got to do some choreography while getting brainwashed by Alice Cooper. Uh, <laughs> so that was, you know, in 77, I got to get on some nice major studio lots and see what it was all about. And ultimately, you know, doing background work is not fulfilling for an actor. Uh, and I had nice advice to go get some good training. And I went after the American Conservatory Theater and went to university and was juggling, you know, six shows at a time. And at that time in 80. 182 fell into an opportunity to screen test for the lead in a, a major motion picture at MGM called The Genius. And uh, Martin Brest uh, was the director on that. And he had told an agent that I was his favorite for this role. And uh, the agent 
pursued me and and said, you know, whether you get the, the role in the film or not, you've got to move back to LA from San Francisco. I was like, oh God, just as I've, I'm in the middle of my master of fine arts uh, training and studies and, and falling in love with San Francisco. But uh, so the, the film uh, screen test, uh, I tested with Ali Sheedy. Warren Oates had passed away, who was the uh, main star name atta attached to it, but it uh, had gone into turnaround, got back on track, and uh, they changed the name of the film to War Games. And oh, wow. I, I tested the same day as Eric Stoltz and Brian Becker and uh, is it John Stockwell from Christine and Eric Stoltz and who else? And Dana Carvey. And uh, so, as, as you know, none of us got it. Matthew Broderick did. But yeah. nonetheless, and Marty Brest got fired. He he uh, got replaced by John, John Badham. So I had to move back to L.A. And within three months, I, I landed a nice co-star role in George Miller's episode of the remake of Nightmare at 20,000 Feet in Twilight Zone movie. Yes. Yes, I was I was reading your wiki and I was I was like, oh, he was in the Twilight Zone movie. That, there's so much controversy behind that as well. I mean, not your segment, of course, but of course, you know, the very the there's John writing Landis, on my wiki. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't want to point it out on camera, but I feel like I, I had to let you know. Um, I, I was personally uh, shocked that I had an audition for that that project. You know, after the terrible accident on the Landis shoot with McMorrow and the children, uh, I thought it was horrible taste. But Spielberg decided that m most of that segment was in the bag. I think the accident happened on the last day of shooting or something. And, and uh, uh, you know, the other directors were uh, set and lined up, you know, Joe Dante and George Miller and Spielberg wanted to shoot their segments. And he thought he could finish the film. Those, uh, And luckily, George Miller... It was his first Hollywood film from uh, Mad Max and Road Warrior success. He came to Warner Brothers and he loved it. And I loved it being on a major studio lot. And we got along famously. It was a really lovely project to be a part of. John Lithgow was just a gem to work with, as was Donna Dixon and J.D. Johnson and Abby Lane. You know, the ensemble cast was really terrific. And uh, even though my part was not so huge, I got to come up with some business and lines and such though alan davio god rest him he died from covid uh, our cinematographer uh would often put the camera where my character was sitting so i'd go in the back and hang out with uh, uh i remember milton burl's brother jack and a guy named spaz attack who had uh had a fight with harrison ford and blade runner um with the mo giant mohawk we we're, were in the back hanging out having great time though i got cat scratch fever on that shoot that's I, a my, real thing. It's a real thing. My my girlfriend at the time, her cat had had kittens, and I remember the second night of the shoot, I was dead asleep at three in the morning. I was like, "Wow!" I woke up and there was a little kitten hanging from my arm, and I was like, "Get off!" I went back to sleep and forgot about it. And the next day, I developed a bump in my elbow, and I remember I'm hanging out. Jack Burl, Milton's brother, who told me about when Milton got. Uh, kidnapped by Al Capone at gunpoint when he came to Chicago because he wanted him to play his his nightclub. But I but I uh, <laughs> side I digress. Um, so Jack Burl says that's just a cyst. You want to you want to just rub that. And then so I was okay. And I rub it and it becomes two. And then I develop one in my armpit. And the next day I've got these red lines going up my arm. And I go to the I say to George Miller, you know, I'm not feeling well. And I go see the nurse at 
uh, Warner Brothers and she says, quick, go to this address four blocks away. There's a doctor who says, drop your drawers and gives me three <laughs> shots of penicillin in my butt. And uh, she says, those red lines were uh, blood poisoning going to your heart. There's cat scratch fever, basically. So the rest of the shoot, I'm kind of out of it, which kind of worked because we're on this airplane, this horrible storm with a creature tearing up the wing. And uh, <laughs> it kind of worked, but I haven't flown that well since. Um, <laughs> and it was just really delightful being on that shoot. And I've been very fortunate to be parts of some great ensemble casts on Johnny Dangerously with Michael Keaton. That was a great ensemble. Um, more so on Pale Rider, I had a bigger part with Clint Eastwood uh, at the helm his return to Westerns, that that cast was just superlative, you know, be a part of such great talent and nice, nice production, both cast and crew. I love that as, as the same with back to the futures uh, sequels. You seem like, you seem like a rare commodity in LA. Somebody, you like, when I think of LA and I think of these big actors, I think ego and I think, here I am, motherfucker. I'm on set. Look, yep, yep. And you seem like a, a gentleman that's just sat and just absorbed it and watched and enjoyed it. And, and you've never tried. It seems like you just enjoyed being around that environment. Do you feel like? Do you feel like that's helped you? The fact that you've just enjoyed being there and you've not like tried to be the star. Here I am, guys. Drop your drawers. You well, know? <laughs> growing up. Uh, in Hollywood, it, it it was a mixed bag. There were I could tell there were lots of folk having hard knocks. That that the landscape has changed so much. When when I, when I was growing up, you never paid for a celebrity's autograph. Mm. You know the the uh, charging for an autograph still makes me uncomfortable. But it, but it's what people do now. And uh, and as a an actor who doesn't work as much as I used to, it also really helps pay the bills. Um, also, the star system, you know, has changed a lot. When when I came to town, sort of as a hot item, my agent would submit me on a role, and I would probably have five hundred other submissions compete that I was competing with. Now, the casting directors tell me that they for each role they put out, they get about two thousand or more, maybe three thousand submissions. So the competition is fierce and crazy, and reality TV has made uh, regular Joes often celebrities that don't have the training as an actor. You know, it's a it's a big mixed evolutionary thing that has gone on, and uh, I though try to keep to the the thought and and ideal that it's storytelling, and that the story is number one, and if you can get on a great script, a great project with an ensemble casting, a great crew, uh, there's nothing better. And I, I'm always fascinated. I spent a lot of time, example, on Twilight Zone movie, hanging out with Garrett Brown because I was fascinated about this new contraption that he wore as a backpack, which was called the Steadicam. And uh, back then, Garrett's Steadicam was 65 pounds, I think. And now what is it? You know, 16 pounds. Um and I, I needed to get on a, I just needed to get on a set and uh, Chris Columbus was shooting Rent and I just wanted to get on the set. So I signed up to be a dancer on it. And uh, in the La Vie Boheme scene, you can't even see me, but I'm in there. And it was so incredible to see this prototype camera. They had a $6 million camera that had nine or 10 different gyros. So the camera could shoot 
between the dancers' legs and come up and then shoot outside the set. And it was just fantastic. And I, I love that. The technology, the uh, uh, cr crew, the, the choreographers, the, the makeup artists and the hairstylists and the, you know, I just love when everyone's on their game and helping create a story that is hopefully going to enlighten or help people get out of their doldrums and out of their own lives. When when I was first doing the DeLorean shows, one of the first celebs from the Back to the Future movies that beside myself to come out to one was James Tolkien, you know, who played Principal Strickland. Yeah. And then Marshall Strickland in part three. And James had never done an event like that before. And he turned to me and he said, Why? Why me? Why do they want my autograph? Why do they want a picture with me? I said, James, you represent to them a time in their life where they needed an escape or they needed to just, you know, celebrate the story or whatever it was. And you represent that and they want to celebrate it. You know, they're, they're, they're time traveling back to, you know, oh. 1985 when they, you know, were a kid and they saw this film and they fell in love with it. And now 25 years, 30 years, 40 years later, you're still here and representing that and, and having that connection, you know, sort of validates their, their being or whatever. Mm. And so he got it. And so now, you know, he's doing these cons all the time. He's 90 now. And I'm going to wow. see him. I think I'm going to see him in August in Orlando, Florida at Fanboy Expo. So I'm does very he, excited about that. I love James. Has does, such he great call you, does he still call you a slacker? He's like, you're a slacker. And you're like, what? I don't think I am. I think I work pretty hard. Yeah, it's unfortunate I didn't really get any scenes while I was on the shoot with James. We didn't meet until reunions. Oh. And, I mean, I saw him in passing while we were doing the night shoots from uh, 1955 fighting with Biff, you know, because there were angles from his office and all. But we didn't really have any scenes together. The same with Chris Lloyd, who I've become friends with over the over the years. Uh, and I've done a few films with Chris since then, you know, the Chateau Moreau and the Boat Builder, just as minor support roles. But it, it's really lovely. I remember James and I were guests at London Film and Comic Con, my first one, and the Star Trek star was Leonard Nimoy that year. Oh, And wow. James and I are having a coffee break around lunchtime, uh, and Nimoy finally shows up and he looks around the, the, the green room and he sees us. He sees James, actually. And he comes right over to the table because he and James had starred in a stage show directed by Otto Preminger on Broadway, I think it was. Really? And, and watching them reunite and talk about Preminger using he had picked Leonard Nimoy to be his spanking boy. It was something Preminger did on every project. He picked someone to pick on. And, and Leonard Nimoy wouldn't stand for that. He just got up and walked away, you know. And <laughs> it took Preminger a couple hours to get Nimoy back in the cast. And when, then he picked someone else to pick up. Anyway, they had a great laugh and then started doing their auto Preminger imitations. And here I'm the only one at the table listening to these priceless stories. It was just lovely. And then, you know, I did a, a con where, uh, you know, Chris and I, Chris Lloyd and I were two of the stars from the series and then another where uh, the new Beverly theater in Hollywood and Beverly Hills was showing the trilogy. And Chris and I were alone in this projection booth for 45 minutes and where I got to really get him to open up. He's a very quiet man and, you know, reserved until he gets to know you. And then that's where I learned he likes exotic plants. So every time I see <laughs> and I can do it, I bring Chris another, you know, meat eating carnivorous plant or something, you know, it's, it's very fun. 
Wow. Um, Otto Preminger. That's that's so interesting because I I've, I remember an interview with Adam West where he uh, kind of talked about Otto Preminger because he played uh, one of the Mister Freezes back in the Batman sixty six, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And he they always said that he was very uh, difficult to work with. So I, it's good to hear that people don't change as they get older. I guess. Well, he had some wacky films. I, did you ever see Skidoo? No. Um, oh, Carol Channing's yeah. trip is. Uh, well, no, actually, that's not a highlight. Um, uh, but but uh, Jackie Gleason on Acid, Jackie Gleason's character on Acid, or Groucho Marx playing God in that is very very unique. Thank you, wow. Otto. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um. Wow. You just you really lived a life, haven't you, sir? Oh, it's not over. No, 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 not that you're dead. No, no. Uh, this is the uh, this is the uh, funeral of Jeffrey Watts. No, no, no. I mean, that's like you've seen everything whether you intended to or not you kind of saw <laughs> great alex's latest killed him killed the I did. <laughs> you like how we both passed the buck for who killed jeffrey right there i was like alex's lateness killed me like good job tom you killed him and i'm like oh, i probably did um so when if jeffrey ever rises from the dead that'd be kind of oh okay he's really gone, gone. He's um, evaporated into, into we can that. start pretending to be jeffrey and just you know, make up things he'd say. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask him about Rick and Morty as well, because I feel like there's, there's got to be an honorable mention. To... <laughs> what the hell is that? Is that a fucking Star Trek figure? What is going <laughs> on? Figure. Oh, no, no. That's his action figure from when, from when he's in the, with the pizzas and shit. When he's like, oh, who's going to eat all that? What a weird. <laughs> Do you it's, find it's, it interesting how much shit? Too. Do, do you okay at the time when they made the movie? Um, did you think it was strange how much stuff that they were guessing was going to be, you know, the future? And then, of course, it came to the year, and a lot of it wasn't the case, but like oh, how much they actually did get rights. Well, at the time, I was just amazed. I, I wasn't necessarily in any of the Hill Valley um, exteriors of 2015, mm. but I went and visited while they were doing the hoverboard scene. Uh, brought my nephew who was visiting from Oklahoma. Uh, Sam and you know when I <laughs> I introduced him to Mike Fox and and uh, he said you know I I named my kid Sam I was like yeah isn't that cool um, Mike's wife Tom Wilson's wife and and my wife all had baby boys within two weeks of each other during the shoot oh wow and as if we had enough pressure on us um, but it, it was fascinating you know I I when I saw Darlene Vogel met her for the first time she was made up as Spike. And she already has uh, two different colored eyes, and then they put the red lenses in, uh, and and she's beautiful. And I'm looking at her, going, "Oh my God, this is really cool!" And everything was art directed, the set, uh, and the watching the hoverboards, you know, working on the wires and everything. It was just fascinating. Um, the Texaco station and the flying cars and all that good stuff. It was pretty remarkable. And then the interiors of the McFly House, uh, 2015. Everything was art directed within an inch of its life. Everywhere you looked, and a lot of it never made it on camera. You know, you wow. barely see my double-banded George McFly's uh, watch. Uh, the uh, uh, the little dining room where, or den where uh, Marty Jr. is watching the sixteen different channels at once. You know that that came to pass. You can watch oh, yeah. multiple channels simultaneously now. The facts in the wall. You know that that was kind of already happening with faxes, but uh, you know, the watches uh, computer watches, I think hadn't come out yet. Um, 
you know, Comdex oh. introduced that in maybe a year or two later. Uh, th those were the prototype were introduced. Uh, a lot of the things did were kind of prophetic in in that they did come about. Uh, we still don't have a, a hyd hydrometer that makes a pizza in four seconds. I recently <laughs> found out why George was hung upside down in the ortholev. Back problems? Back problems, yeah. No, well, that was a character, that what they wrote in the script. Um, and a lot of people out there think that it. I was turned upside down because they wanted to obscure that it wasn't Crispin. But actually, huh. uh, during the first shoot, Crispin apparently couldn't hit his marks uh, all the time. He would either overshoot the mark or undershoot it or what have you. And, you know, you really have to use your peripheral vision to hit that mark, which is on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're in focus for the camera or in frame and he would not hit him. So Bob Z, uh, Robert Zemeckis and, and Bob Gale wrote it. So he had his back, George had his back go out from a flying car that fell out of the sky while he was on the golf course. Uh, so they could have him on this rail hanging upside down that went through the set and everything. And they could stop him on the mark, you know, wherever. So he'd always be in focus on uh, for camera. I didn't really know that until just a few months ago, after wow. 30 uh, friggin' years. Um, so <laughs> it was very interesting. And like I said earlier, they didn't know if they even had a George mm. uh, because of all the different versions that I have in my script I, I broke out. I, I wasn't cast until the 11th hour. In fact, I didn't get the script until really a day before I was to be on set. Wow. And I, like no time to study. And as we're on the set... Zemeckis and Mike and Leah are going through the script, giving all my lines to them. And I was like, Hey, am I chopped liver? I, I, I'm an actor. I can, I can deliver lines. Give me some of these lines back, which they did reluctantly. And, but uh, you know, it was, they didn't know me from Adam really. It was kind of, they were in this corner without Chris, but it was very odd, very strange predicament. And, you know, I, I was caught kind of in the middle of the, all that. I know, Tom, you go first because I'm going to segue the fuck out of this because I want to talk about something. Okay, I was going to ask, um, how many hours a day were you actually upside down? Oh, boy. It, it differed. Uh, over the course of uh, the six weeks, I worked uh, a little over four weeks doing the 1955 stuff and then the 2015 stuff because we had Mike Fox generally only uh, at nighttime and then on weekends because he was doing the last season of uh, Family Ties during the day. Hmm. Uh, and I was like, Mike, when do you sleep? And he said, in the limo in between the studios. Uh, <laughs> some of the hours I had, I remember one week I had a 19-hour day, a 21-hour day, and a 26-hour long day. I remember the makeup took four hours to get hmm. applied and another hour at the end to, to remove. And then shooting and if example, when we're working with that camera that spliced the film so Michael could play three different roles, we would shoot, he would go change costume and makeup and everything and come back and then shoot again. And each costume change and makeup change took three hours, minimum. <laughs> and we would then, you know, do other coverage and stuff, or maybe take a meal break. But it was really long, long days. So and all those hours, I was hung upside down and um how, how I, I they didn't like getting me down 
<laughs> from, uh, from the, guys, uh, <laughs> but help. you're fine, Jeffrey. Yeah. Just stay up there. We only got six more hours. Michael's just getting changed really quick. You just stay right there. He's gonna come back and drag. It's gonna be hilarious. Um, basically, um, my my handler from ILM, he um, he thought, well, we'll build this little board on a ladder, which you can see in the picture here. Um, that, uh, you know, they would, he would say, you know, just do a sit up <laughs> and they <sighs> put this thing under me and they made, you know, there's a nice little cushion there. They made it very comfortable, but then, you know, uh, after shooting for four hours and we need a break and they'd go have coffee or snack or whatever. And I would be left alone on the set for 15, 20 minutes while everyone went and had coffee or what have you. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> my thumb. <laughs> I think I'm owed stunt pay. I don't think I ever got stunt pay, and I believe this all qualifies. Um, <laughs> I wonder if the statute of limitations has run out. Uh, so yeah, it was the very long hours and hanging upside down for most of it. Amazing, amazing. But you're part of this amazing le legacy now. You know, you did the Comic Cons, Rick and Morty sounds daft, but you know, Rick and Morty borrowed a lot from Back to the Future. That's how it became the one. Yeah, it was. and I have more uh, footage in the bonus material, I think, than the actual film. If you go to uh, YouTube and put in deleted scenes, one called Pizza, another one called Dad's Home, I get to do more uh, comedy. In fact, uh, the body cast effect where like George gets to actually rotate for pizza. Oh, uh, and, and I do my, my golf swing and go for, <laughs> you know, my best Crispin <laughs> laugh. And, uh, and that's only in the deleted scenes. Also, I got a piece of fruit from fruit, please. You know, and I try to eat a banana upside down. It keeps slapping me in the face because <laughs> the peel. Anyway, Zemeckis thought it was funny, but it, it didn't stay in. Bless you. Bless you. Um, I'm not, I to... uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you about the the musical, the the London musical. Obviously, that's um, oh part four. Uh, it's Back to the Future, the musical. It's going to hit London. It was meant to before the lockdown, but I don't think it's landed quite yet. Yeah, it opened uh, in Manchester before the pandemic, and then pandemic, of course, closed it down and put off the re-release in in London and such. Uh, mm -hmm. It's or West End. So uh, in see a twenty. 14, 2013, somewhere back there, um, we did a, a DeLorean show in uh, Akron, Ohio, I think it was. Dayton, Ohio, in Dayton, Ohio. And a high school drama teacher had written a musical version of Back to the Future and brought it, a 20-minute version of it, to this DeLorean show. And Chris Lloyd and Bob Gale and Harry Waters Jr. played Marvin Berry and Don Fullove played Mayor Goldie Wilson, myself and Claudia Wells. We were all there and watched this musical and we were just like, this is incredible. The high school kids did an incredible version of it as a musical and you could see the light going off in Bob Gale's head, whether he had the idea already or not. This probably confirmed it. And uh, so he wrote, of, of course, uh, developed this musical, which basically is part four. The, 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 Fans have been clamoring for, you know, what are you going to do with another sequel or do a remake or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, both Bobs have said, N not while we're alive. Mm. And I don't think the studio is going to override them. And uh, so this musical is their way of giving back. And and I hear it's, you know, 
nothing like the films. You know, it's it's a different framing and a different story and incredibly good. I've known, I know at least a dozen or more people, fans and friends who have seen it, who just loved it in Manchester. My mom wants to screw. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> just tell him, tell him I got songs. I got songs for days for him. You're my mama, mama, mama. <laughs> that was the Eric Stoltz version of that scene. <laughs> but you're my mother. We should, I mean, if we should feel bad for anyone, it should be Eric Stoltz. I mean, the heck with, I mean, don't wrong. Respect to Crispin Glover. But if anyone should feel bad because he shot the entire first film, right? Like he was in the entirety of it. And then all I of a sudden. didn't have the entire shoot. It was six weeks of the shoot. Was it six, uh, weeks? six weeks? I, I can never, once again, sleep deprived. I'm, I'm glad I can remember your name, Sam. Um, <laughs> I, uh, wait, is Sam? Oh, I'm sorry. I've been calling you Alex. Your name is uh, Stanley? Yeah, yeah, Stanley. 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 Sam, Samuel. Oh, I'm Samuel. Right. Yeah, you're Samuel. Exactly. Samuel Clemens. That's right. Yes. Ah, it all comes around. You know, I don't, I don't have a, a lot of uh, heartbreak for, for Eric because he, he got paid. I think they paid his full contract. Uh, and and then he went on, you know, Pulp Fiction, Mask already. Ironically, I knew the gal who was the real life mother of the character in Mask, Rusty. Oh, really? Of uh, Rocky's mom. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, she lived in a building that I managed in San Francisco and showed me pictures of him. Uh, and years later, I said, you know, I, I auditioned for Bogdanovich for Mask. I almost played your son. And I, Anyway, uh, but then, you know, Eric's had a, a really lovely career and he's a very serious, fine actor. Um, but it, it really, if it wasn't working, if it wasn't the comedy formula that they really wanted, they wanted Mike from the go-get. But the studio, mm. uh, even though they put in for Mike, the Family Ties folks wouldn't let him out. They wouldn't even tell him about this, this project because Meredith Baxter Burney was going to have a kid and they didn't want any of the other cast members to be released to do anything else. They needed to cover for her in case she went into labor. And by the time it was obvious, it wasn't working with the comedy with Eric, uh, Mike became available. And so they had this big challenge to figure out how they could afford Mike because Sid Scheinberg, the VP of production came to them and said, you want your boy, you have to cut a million dollars off your budget. So they cut the original way Marty got back from 55 to 85. Do you guys know wow. that? Here's a good trivia. No, no, no. There's a clue. There's a clue on the marquee of the movie theater in 55. It's not the cattle ranchers. <laughs> um, <laughs> the atomic kid with Mickey Rooney. What originally was going to happen was that Marty gets the door in out to a Nevada or Utah atomic bomb test site in 55. Oh. Gets up to 88 miles an hour as the DeLorean's going underneath the bomb being dropped. And that's how he gets his 1.21. Wow. So that whole setup was going to cost more than a million dollars. So they cut that and went with the, the lightning hitting the clock tower. I prefer, I prefer the uh, the one they went with, in all honesty. <laughs> well, they, they used that. You know, Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy were co-producers on uh, Back to the Future films and also the Indiana Jones films, and they used that in the last Indiana Jones film when Harrison gets in the, the uh, refrigerator. 
We we were we were looking at movie sets a, a while ago. Uh, Tom was showing me pictures of these famous movie sets, and now the, the clock tower in, in in Back to the Future has been featured in so many different movies because it looks like they just made this fucking building. They were just like, right, we made this, it's staying here, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna recycle it as many times as possible. Oh, they do that a lot in in uh, the Hollywood backlots. Uh, a lot of the buildings you see over the screen, screen gems lot or Paramount Ranch or. Uh, you know, the MGM lot or 20th Century Fox, the New York Street, you know, they all are recycled. A lot of the houses on Mockingbird land, you know, up on Universal have been used on so many different series. Um, Mm. But you're absolutely right. That that clock tower, we were going to do a reunion for the, uh, was it the 25th or 30th anniversary? There's a a fundraiser for Parkinson's Foundation called We're Going Back. And we were going to have a, an exclusive there at the clock tower, but it was being used for another shoot. And luckily they wrapped that shoot just in time so we could still meet at the clock tower. You know, it's, it's used quite a bit. It is. Um, I don't even remember what that segment was, Alex. Wasn't it like it, it came up in the news or something. And I was like, Oh wow. I can't believe how, like I never noticed it the, the, to be totally fair though. Like I, I am so slow when it comes to things. Like I, I noticed you Jeffrey, but like, um, it took me like three or four times until I got a little bit older. And I was like, wait a minute. There's there. Oh, I get the joke. Now they're replaying the same scene over and over again. They did it in the first in 1955. They did it in the future. They did it in the third one as well. Like the, uh, the chasing around uh, Hill Valley and all that. It, so I, so I'm a little slow to the to the get go. So when I found out that the clock towers and so many things, I was like, "Wow, that it's in that too! Wow, it's in that too!" I mean, it shouldn't be yeah. shocking because obviously it's you know uh, uh, it's a back lot, and they're like, "Well, we built this fucking thing. We better use it for something else." <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, Jeffrey, what, what are you working? I know you're doing you're doing this with the, the Mark Twain stuff, but is there anything you can tell us that you're you, you're going to release soon? Uh, any tidbits for our, our listeners? Uh, let's see. Well, hopefully, you know, do more of these. Uh, I'm, I'm sharing a, a shot from that London Film and Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, wow. you know, with the, the end of the pandemic, um, I'll get a, a few few more shows. Like I mentioned, the Fanboy Expo coming up in Orlando in, in August. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, yeah, I've got New Jersey Horror Con in November. I think I'm going to kentucky in october nice Uh, so these are uh reunions uh i've got a couple projects in development that i can't talk about um one shooting in las vegas and and uh uh whether this twain project that we mentioned hopefully i'll get that you know distribution and pieces of the puzzle all put together for that because i think it's quite worthy and uh mark twain's american history as i know it is the title so um, keep your fingers crossed. I'm always open for uh, coaching. I, I uh, coach actors. I mentor actors. I've got at least a handful, three or four uh, young actors that are working in Hollywood, which I love that, uh, you know, they are students of mine. And, uh, and I've learned how to do it virtually where, you know, we'll do scene work or monologue work uh, via Zoom and then I'll stop it, it, you know, downloads, and then I'll bring the talent back and I'll be able to play it and we can go over the, the work virtually. So figuring oh. out how, how next I can do this internationally for actors well, say, to study with me. 
because I know uh, I know a, a up and coming actor, and uh, he could definitely stand from some from some counseling from a from a seasoned man like yourself. It takes discipline, much discipline. <laughs> What's this word, discipline? I don't know. <laughs> I do. I, I want to spell it. <laughs> I, I want to venture into a bit of voice acting, and I, I do work uh, as a physical actor. A physical actor, as if you do it. <laughs> physical, physical. Um, uh, it's really one of the key things when you do your voice acting is is get up and move okay you know you keep your distance from the microphone you keep your you know keep the microphone close but but move to get the character alive will really I'm add on the toilet <laughs> if, if you oh my god watch- i believe that if you ever watched Mark Hamill uh, play the Joker, because he did uh, Batman the Animated Series, among a lot of many other things that he voice acted for, a lot of people, you know, I mean, nowadays it's, it's a very wide known fact that, you know, Luke Skywalker is a is a renowned voice actor. But if you ever watch like his old takes from when he did Batman the Animated Series, he's pulling his hair out. He's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And you'd never imagine that, you know, voice actors put that much energy, not even energy, I guess, uh, physicality into yeah. uh, into the craft. It's it's quite impressive. Do you think uh, uh, Tom, Tom Wilson's a great uh, voice actor as well as uh, Don Fulop, you know, Mayor, Mayor Goldie Wilson. It, take a look at Don's resume. It's amazing. I've been, I tried getting Mayor Goldie Wilson on the show a long time ago um, because I'm, I'm Facebook friends with them. And I saw that documentary um, back in time, maybe it was, it was on Netflix. And um, were you in that actually? Uh, most of my stuff is in the bonus material, and I have these giant mutton chops because I'm doing uh, a Dickens fair at that time, playing a Victorian <laughs> character. Wow. Um, what was a lot of friends in that film. Mm. I was going to say something. And I completely oh, yeah. Oh, no, it was funny because I went to the cinema before I came here. That's why I was late. Um, and I, I, I went for a wee before it started. And as I come in, the trailers had started, and it's that M&M's advert. You were going to eat him without me, weren't you? And as I was coming up the steps, I was pointing to the screen to Kaz, who's sat in the things. I was like, that's Billy West. That's, Bi- that's Billy West. Yeah. And as I'm sitting down, I'm going, yeah, that's Billy West. And she's like, is that Billy West? I was like, yeah, it's Billy West. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Billy we West. talked to him. We talked to him. We love yeah, Billy I, West. Him on the show. Yeah. I have a Three Stooges team, and I play Larry Fine in it. Oh. And I basically do my imitation of Billy West. Yeah. Doing, oh. You know, was, was he Ren? Oh no, he's he, was, he, was, he was Ren and Stimpy. He um he did Doug. He did uh Zap Brannigan, of course. That um that's who did our buffer for us in the very beginning of the show. And the I, so and the so he M&M. kind of does everything in the in nasal and is like, hey, cut that out, Mo. I didn't mean anything, you know. So it Billy really <laughs> that nailed is Billy. That is fucking then, Billy dead on. If you go, he does a very rude Larry Fine at Woodstock. If you ever hear that on it's up on online, you can find that it's like Larry Fine on acid at Woodstock is pretty amazing. Billy West, it's it's not PC at all, but there it nah. is. Um, B- Billy West, called, yeah, I, Billy West is not PC, but that's okay because I, I feel like once you've like done as much as as you have or Billy West has, you're you're allowed to not be PC. He called my dad gay <laughs> on the air, and I was like, oh shit, my sister is not gonna like this, and she did not. But I backed Billy West play because I was like, listen, that's fucking fry you're talking about right now. You watch your goddamn mouth. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> shut your mouth. So I've uh, over the years have done. A lot of characters. If you went to Universal Studios in Hollywood between 87 and 2001, uh, I played uh, Stan Laurel. I was their number one Stan Laurel. Oh. And I played Charlie Chaplin. Oh, you uh, played Hitler's evil twin? Uh, <laughs> no, he's oh, the non-evil no. twin. 
Oh, it was his own evil twin, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, these, are jokes. these are the jokes, Alex. These, these are not funny. Sleep deprivation. Gone into un-PC territory here. Um, and, and Groucho Marx. Oh, and like I mentioned, uh, I had uh, I have a Three Stooges team. that. So here's um, another pick is, is Stanley. Oh, sorry, oh. sorry, sorry. <laughs> wow. Oh. Wow, that's brilliant. Hardy. I really like that I, film they did, by the way. Um, the, the the Laurel and the Hardy, the John C. Riley and uh, yes, yes. And, uh, what's his name? Oh, Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan. Yeah. The, the fan, fantastic portrayal. Really lovely to get that story about their European tours and their later lives out there. I I was friends because of my work as Stan Laurel. I became friends with Lois Laurel, Stanley's uh, daughter. Oh wow. The, her wonderful late husband, uh, Tony Haas, and they had a museum in their backyard with all the props from that tour uh, that the wow. film covers. And it was just fascinating. And I got to go through private to scrapbooks and see the incredible talent that Stanley was. And, and uh, you know, at, at first I didn't know that much about Stan Laurel or Charlie Chaplin or Groucho Marx and every role that I was cast in, uh, I would, just dive in and learn more and more about the genius of these wonderful talents. And uh, it really broadened my perspective as a character actor. It's, uh, and John rewarding. C. Riley as well. John, John C. Riley is one of those, he's, uh, he's a great comedy actor, but you watch Gangs in New York or you watch this Laurel and Hardy movie and you're like, this guy can fucking act. He's really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He can act his fucking ass off, is what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Jeff, where can people find you? Where can people if once it's Oh, I'm here at my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you want to give us your uh, address really quick? We'll show yeah, up I and you know. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize you lived at the Playboy Mansion. That's insane. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't realize uh, Actually, that's where Crispin is often. Uh, <laughs> zing. <laughs> I uh, I'm uh, at jeffreyweisman.com uh, if you're a, a fan and or know a fan that wants an autographed picture just email me from the homepage there and i'll tell you how to get one uh i i uh, am on twitter at jef1f weissman w-e-i-s-s-m-a-n you can follow me there instagram at jeffrey j weissman or is it jeffrey james weissman oh boy i gotta go look it up um on facebook my fan page is at jeffrey weissman actor on TikTok, I think I'm at Jeffrey Wiseman. I've You're only got TikTok. a handful of. I've got, I've got TikToks. I've got very nice. strange little videos of me dancing as Dufacino and uh, <laughs> stuff that I've shot at fan cons and stuff. Anthony Hopkins is on TikTok. So, I mean, like. Yeah. I what? Love him. Yeah. I, I, you got to love Mr. Hopkins. He's, he was oh, yeah, I met, yeah. met him and his mother once on the tour at Universal. Just delightful. No they're really they're on the tour universal well they were visiting yeah oh i was like well that's fucking great that's a hannibal lecter over there what the fuck is he doing here yes he's he, he plays hannibal lecter there on the tour he'll bite you no no <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's amazing like, well anthony hobbins is kind of running for you know run out of money so he's uh now playing hannibal lecter on the tour welcome to the hollywood <laughs> tour ladies and gentlemen <laughs> he's just such a fascinating actor i, I remember seeing uh um, was it called Mask? Not Mask, where he plays the ventriloquist early in his one of his early uh, films. Just fantastic with Burgess Meredith as his agent. Um, look it up. Look it up. Uh, anyway, Penguin? No, no, no. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, Burgess Meredith. He played the penguin in Batman 66. Once again, uh, everything that you say, anything of a classic actor, I'm like, they played in Batman. That's how I always bring it all back, man. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, anyway, I've always Sorry. been a big fan of of the the actors out of the UK. You know, John Hurt and and uh, Gary Oldman and uh, Anthony Hopkins. Ooh, Gary Oldman. Oh, Derek yeah. Jacobi. Well, meeting Derek Jacobi once at at uh, London Film Comic Con was just a such a highlight for me. And uh, like I mentioned, when my wife knew she was going to lose her hair from her chemotherapy, she gave herself this haircut that we called the Jacobi because she looked like what he wore in I Claudius. And I told him this. <laughs> he was quite moved. It was really nice to have that connection. Bless mm. you. Bless you. Yes, sir. Um, I've got to say as well, before because we, I know we've run over to time, but I want to say a huge thank oh. you to my wife, uh, Kaz, uh, for, for reaching out to you on Instagram and getting you as a guest. So thank you, Kaz. Thank you, wife. Thank you. She thank needs you, to, Kaz. She needs to uh, reread her letters, though, before she uh, read the she, – you're copied on the email that she sent. Uh, it needed some proofreading. There are a lot of words that I was like, what is she trying to say here? Very interesting. Oh, she, she, she's from South America. I mean, she struggles. Uh, oh. We'll, we'll work on that. She's I won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's married to you, maybe, but I, I don't. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, try, I, don't, I do try and whisper some sweet nothings to it. They obviously come out grammatically incorrect, you know, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> come bed to you. I am. <laughs> Puff pastry. No, in, in all honesty, that was probably something I'd written at three because I work night shifts. I probably wrote in something that wrote something at three o'clock in the morning, sent that to her and gone. Can you please send some of these out? So that's probably on me. So I, I apologize. Yes, apologize. Well, thank you for coming call. on the show. Who <laughs> else do you have coming up on your show? Uh, we Who do we? Quite, we we have um we have a partnership with uh, TV Guestbert in LA, who are a publishing company, and what they do is they send us um, some huge guests to come on um and they feel basically filled up our august schedule which is great so they're really big guys yeah huge <laughs> muscular bound gigantic man they, they come with no clothes on it's it's very enticing i'm curious how you two met and partnered up on this would you like to tell the story dear um, so we are we're, we're huge fans of Ralph Garman. Uh, there's, a, there's a podcast called um, Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman, who is a voice actor on Family Guy. Um, and we, uh, there was a group called the Garmy, uh, which is all the Garmy, the, the Ralph Garman members, and we were admins. My original co-host for our old show, Thor's Kin, Thor's Kin, uh, decided to be selfish and have a baby. So Bastard. he left. I know. How dare he have a family and all that? So I reached out. To, I needed someone. I need someone. Someone, please pick up a microphone. And Tom answered the call. Absolutely yeah. answered the call. And the moment he I keep knocking my mic over, the moment he turned the mic on, he was an absolute genius behind the microphone. So I'm very grateful to have Tom Bruno as my co-host. In Vermont, so. so he was an admin on the on the page. Yes, yes. I, I was admin, and and Alex said that you know I met Alex the same way I meet all of the men on the internet and um i really enjoy he said something very flattering to me he's like he's like you're funny you're really funny do you want to do this and i was like sure. yeah, but looks at everything. Podcast with my- it's, it's true it's true and um it, the thing is like the thing that impressed me the most about alex right off the bat i know we got to get out of here but regardless the thing that impressed me the most is that since day one Alex, before we had even uh, a celebrity on, he was a, a nonstop professional. He knew what he wanted. He went after it. And he's really driven 
the show to become a network and from the network to get on some of the biggest guests that we never would have imagined to have on. So it's all because Alex had a dream one day of being this guy. Oh, come on. Hey, come on. Yeah, We're, a good team. We're a good team. It's you. Yes, we are. Oh. Like Laurel and Hardy, except not nearly as talented. Uh, which one is? Uh, oh, no. oh, I'm Hardy, without a doubt. I mean, come so, on. Hey, fuck me. The, which one is you and... Uh, uh, yeah, the, no, never mind. Anyways, anyways, um, <laughs> well, introduce me to those other guys. I, I'll go on their show. Fuck yes, oh. we will. Oh yeah, yeah we'll too. Yeah, yeah, fuck yes. We know some guys. We know some well, guys. I'll get well, something we, out of it. We've got this amazing thing coming up in September. I'd like to tell you about it. Actually, this might be a good idea. But um, we've got. A, I'm going to tell you the name of it because this will be released way past the embargo. But on the uh, on at nine a.m. on the 29th of September. We're going to go live for a podcast, and we're not going to stop for 24 hours. 9 a.m. We're going to stop. Uh, we're going to do 12 hours of, of my other show, The Shoes with Biscuit, and 12 hours of You Suck. Um, and we're going to be raising money for a local charity. In uh, It's a cancer fund charity in, in Shrewsbury called Lingen Davis. And the idea is to encourage people with microphones uh, around the world to go out there and help their local communities. And it's called PodAid. So we, we're still looking for, for guests and things. Um, I'm writing it in. We'll, we're going to pull out a Ouija board and uh, summon the ghost of Freddie Mercury to come on. And we're yeah. going to get this going, man. It's going to be pretty impressive. <laughs> not you, Michael. No, Sorry, no. Get in there, Michael. That's not for you. Shamel! We want Freddie. Oh, <laughs> Damn oh, it, Michael. Go away. I'll come on and sing a comedy song. Yeah, yes! that'd be amazing. Yes. That'd be right. great. Absolutely. Oh. That'd be great um, because, you know, this is what this is all about. It's about being doing something positive for your community, you know, because there's a lot of people that start a podcast and like, look at me. Look how many followers I've got. Look at all these things that I do. And I'm thinking, well, do something with it then. Dick yes. Oh, yeah. good for you. <laughs> that, that, that was in 2015 for the anniversary year Back to the Future. I decided, you know, it really has been good to me. So I should do something to give back to the fans and to Michael's charity since it's all about Michael really. Mm. Uh, so I, I produced the uh, back to the future cruise 10 Parkinson's and uh, oh. I had six of the cast and crew on board uh, a cruise in the Caribbean. And, you know, I, I never produced a cruise before. I only got about 50 of the fans to come on, but we raised about 10 grand after everything was paid for, for, for Michael's wow. charity. Amazing. But that's that's a really impressive thing though. It's ra- raising ten grand's hard. I mean, people don't like to open their wallets for anything. So getting ten grand for charities is outstanding. Yeah, and, and then I, you know, spent a lot of money on the cruise. I didn't know what I was doing, but at least now I know what I'm doing. So hopefully I'll do it again in the future and raise more money. Well, Maybe wait, wait. back to the future. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep deprivation. <laughs> well, Jeff, you've been an amazing. Honestly, I'd love to get you on again sometime. I say this all the time, but I feel like I feel like we could speak about Hollywood so much more with you. We can do another. Yeah, hour, it, I never really got to the details on Pale Rider. I got a lot of stories from that shoot and Saved by the yeah. Bell. You know, I was Screech's guru. You know, and, uh, uh, we want to we want to find out how the Mark Twain thing goes as well. I'm yeah, yes. genuinely invested. Yes. I'll be back. You know, we'll do uh, a song on the 29th and tell more stories. Fuck yes. yes. Fuck yes. Let's get you back yes. on. Fuck yeah. Yes. Let's do it. Absolutely. Right. What we tend to do now, Jeff, is we, we step into what we call the later lounge. I, I haven't seen Tom for a good couple of weeks. We really haven't. And um, so Oh, you need to a... be alone? 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's our time to take off our clothes and get in the little lounge. It's so funny because pretty much it, it's our time to like pat each other on the back for being such good boys. And we're like, oh, I missed you. Oh, I missed you. Even though, oh, it, you. Even though as long as it's consensual. Later. It is. It is. Trust me. There's nothing but consensuality around here. Yeah. Why don't we just yeah. pull fuck away at the same time? That was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. You've been an amazing guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeffrey Wiseman, thank you. I'll so see much. you in the future. You will. See you in the future. You will. <laughs> amazing. Am I still on mute? No, I'm not on mute. I thought I muted myself still. No, no, no. I thought I muted myself still. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to step into the later lounge, good sir? We can. Jeff's still here, but I feel like if, if he still wants to stick around, we can join us in the, in the late lounge. Fuck yeah, he can do whatever he wants. He's a goddamn actor. Right, well, let's just do it then. Three, two, Fuck one. Fuck it. Hey, 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 hey. We're here. We're in the later lounge. And uh, what's that smell? Well, that smells, yeah. It's a bit of a fishy smell. What's, what's uh, desperation is what that smell is. It's desperation. Are you and... not cleaning those poles? <laughs> the fuck, man? I washed my penis the other day, Alex. You don't have to say it on air, for fuck's sake. I am so, so sorry for being late, by the way. Oh, um, stop. I, no, because I was... I wasn't going to do this show, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this week. I wasn't going to do it because last minute, um, I was meant to go to uh, play uh, a musical um and um i was going to go do some interviews sit for the show and then put some like final notes onto it just to support a local uh, event that's going on but the director i was speaking to and she was just like it's gonna be fucking hectic man i'm gonna speak to you like 15 minutes before the show we're gonna go in there's people running around there's like a billion kids have got to get on stage and i was kind of like don't worry about it go and have a great time give my tickets to someone else that isn't just going to be the biscuit guy and have a great night and we can catch up again so that's why my plans changed and then we had like a few hours because timmy's having a sleepover at his mates and we were kind of like should we go to should we go to cinema so we went to go watch black widow and uh it was just it the there is an end credit scene. There is definitely an end credit scene, by the way. But you got to sit through all the fucking credits, and it's like ten minutes. So I was kind of like, "We're gonna go, man! Hurry up!" <laughs> um, now let me ask you: since I have obviously not seen the Black Widow movie, was it worth the wait to see this movie? Uh, I because they've been talking about making this movie for what six years or something. It was uh, it was meant to be released before lockdown, wasn't it? And then the lockdown mm. happened. They were kind of like, well, we're going to hold on to this. Um, and then they were like, we're going to wait longer and longer yeah. and longer. And eventually they release it. But they've done it on a hybrid format. So uh, you can spend 20, 20 quid uh, to have it on Disney Plus, And then you get to watch it as many times as you like. Or you can wait till October for it to be released for free. Mm. You know? I'll or wait. You can go to- yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about it at all because it's not fair. There's lots of people that will just wait for Disney Plus. Um, all I can say is the fight scenes that that they're just amazing. They blow like Jason Bourne out of the water. You know those amazing fight scenes from Jason Bourne, the Bourne movies, mm-hmm. on that caliber. But better. John Wick style fight scenes with Black Widow. That this amazing. So, nice. Yeah. Are there any uh, other? I mean, you know, you can just say yes or no. You don't have to say who. Is there any other Marvel heroes that kind of like pop in, get named, anything along those lines? 
in the end credit scene yes nice very nice very cool i like it all right so definitely stick around for those scenes then it opens up the reason why they've waited and they've held on is because it's gonna it's this the the end credit scene is the opening i believe for an upcoming tv show Ooh, i like it um speaking of disney plus tv shows how up to date are you on loki all the way up to date. So am I. So am I. How Rick and Morty was that last episode? Oh, very much so. So Rick and Morty. <laughs> Dude, it was so Rick and Morty. I loved it, though. I lo- I, I think... I the Okay, so the end of the last episode, you see that sh- the, the end credits. Spoilers. Spoil this, by the way. We're going to spoil this, so if you've not seen it... F- fuck off. Uh, fuck off. Uh, if you don't want it spoiled, if you don't care, then still listen. Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. You, the end credits scene, Loki wakes up and he's surrounded by other different variations of Loki. Yeah. Including the little alligator, and then I saw Richard E. Grant, and I was kind of like, "Okay, he's been in a few things. That's really interesting, though. He's just, he's the the older Loki, the classic oh classic Loki, Loki. Yeah. yeah, classic Loki." And I, I thought he would he he blew the show. He, he stole the show. I Dude, thought it was fucking phenomenal. I, thought was- I loved his scenes, and I thought it was so charming. And I, I loved that he was wearing the classic Loki outfit, like the one from the actual comic books. I loved that he's like, well, daggers are you know they they take away from the magic and all this stuff. And then you're like, what what is he talking about? And then at the very end of that um, that episode, he's creating an entire city for the devourer to like chew on and stuff and he's just raising it out and it was Divine so purpose. Yeah. dude oh i love that so much that was such good did you see the thanos copter no okay I... Oh. so i don't know if you know this about thanos um back in the a helicopter yeah. yes exactly in in the comic books he had a helicopter that's how he got around and, stupidest and, fucking thing ever and that's why they gave him a double-bladed sword in in endgame is because that was meant to be a, a, a nod towards the the, the, the thanos copter well they nodded even harder during loki because fucking um they have the thanos copter in that uh plane of existence where all the stuff goes after it gets um erased or what what's what do they do what's that called it's just like a void isn't it where everything yeah just gets sent yeah but i mean like when they when they erase oh. you, what what do they call that pr- that process? I, I'm I'm once again sleep deprived, so I can't think of it. Fuck that phased. Um, fucking, I don't know. yeah, I know what you mean though. When yeah. they when they when they delete you from existence. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I did see a big boulder with Spider Man's head on though, or Venom. Oh, really? Yeah, I reckon there's so much shit in there because they oh, can yeah. do anything. They can literally do anything. They could have had anybody rock up there, and you'd be like, okay. They could have put to- Toby Maguire in there. And you'd be like, oh yeah, because it's a different timeline. You know? How great was it when, um, when the fake, uh, not fake, when the when the variation of Loki that's big and Jack, and he's like, well, after I defeated Captain America and Iron Man, I took all six stones from Thanos, and I had the and like, no, you didn't. He's like, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> I love it. And the kid one's like, he's like, well, what was your thing? And he's like, I killed Thor. And he's like, yeah, oh, okay. dude, that okay. was bad ass. That was so badass. I was like, whoa, that little kid's not to be trifled with. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think we're going to, I don't think that's the last we're going to see of them. Guy, Obviously, we full on spoilers. Richard E. Grant copped it. But um... would you, th- I was thinking this as I was watching it. I almost feel like the shows, because if you would have asked, if you've been like, Tom, are, are the shows ever going to, overshadow the fucking the movies i'm like no you're crazy those movies are brilliant genius and then never you can't trounce those movies i feel like the tv shows kind of are now like they really are like they are so well done well, that they are just like they they are almost 
going over where the movies are. I mean, that, I'm not taking anything away from Endgame or any of the other movies. I'm just saying, like, these television shows are so well done that it, sometimes you're just like, wow, these these are almost better in a way. And that's because of the longevity, isn't it? You know, of course, because they stretch it out, and every week there's this these new memes that just pop up everywhere. You know, I'm seeing memes of like just uh, hands and the alligator Loki together yeah. all these all these crazy things and that's the best thing about all this stuff it's just the memes and that because that's because that's a community coming together to enjoy something the same as you it's like you're in on the joke if you haven't seen an episode and you see one of those memes you're kind of like what they're laughing at yeah you know it's, it's um, true and um there's a there's a few people talking about sylvie uh, oh, by the way she's amazing yes she's brilliant fucking outstanding and there's a little thing she posted as well um on the seams of her suit She's actually they actually hid some zips because she was breastfeeding on set, so they did like, <laughs> hidden, hidden zips so she could breastfeed. I thought that was really nice, so she could just like you know whip whip it out and feed the kid and carry on acting. <laughs> I thought that was just a nice gesture from well done. She's she got hidden zips to hide the nips yeah, or free yeah. the nips, whichever um, one. Um, they they're, they're talking about how she hasn't mentioned her Thor once, and they're like, hmm, is this a link to Natalie Portman? Ooh, the do oh that's fucking brilliant i can't believe it. wow that's smart i didn't think about that lady thor mm. yeah dude love and thunder oh love and thunder dude oh well, we got i love lady, this shit. lady loki and now we got it's got to be a lady thor i mean how weird was that though when it seemed like lady loki and male loki were gonna kiss you're just like are they gonna start making out right now what the I, fuck I, are they doing <laughs> my comment was their kids are going to be fucked up <laughs> dude but how great is owen wilson though by the way owen wilson mm. i i really feel like mobius is like taking everything from the show because it's great to see tom hiddleston it really is it, it, he's great as loki he's a phenomenally great he, he's so much fun but owen wilson is really taking like hold of the show they really should just made the mobius movies and said fuck it that's that that line though. You where I want to go? I want to go where I was before because at least then maybe I had a jet ski and everybody's just like, "Yes!" <laughs> God, I love that so much, dude. Uh, oh how God. how much like Bill and Ted was that scene though? By the way, <laughs> oh, so Bill and Ted. It was it was very Bill and Ted. I thought, dude, there's just so much right about the show. And once again, like if, when they announced Loki, I was like, "Really? Why? Like, why Loki?" And the same exact thing I did with Scarlet Witch. They're like, oh, we're going to make the Scarlet Witch show, WandaVision. I'm like, why? That makes no sense. Then you see it and you're like, that is so brilliant. Why would they not make that? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to see, I want to see Loki as worse. I want to see him go fucking nuts. I do. I want to see him unleash Loki as as a full. And I I still think that's coming. I reckon, I reckon he's playing a long game here. I don't think so. Okay. So. When when Loki enters this program, Loki's at his worst. He's just tried to invade the whole fucking planet, right? Mm-hmm. He hasn't just changed his fucking his whole way of thinking. I don't know. I feel like he's gonna fuck Sylvie over. I really do. You think so? I think he. Yeah. I think he's well in the same way that we saw Loki learn in um, in Ragnarok. I feel like you know he can learn given the right circumstances and this i think is kind of like a learning experience I, i'm i'm interested to see what ha- what comes with this how many ep- more episodes do we get i think that oh god i don't know what we on is five it, there's, there's probably like three now but, yeah. is it eight or ten i don't know uh i wasn't one division like seven or eight i can't remember anymore it's been so it's been so long it's been a couple months um, by the way, uh, I'm so happy. Well, no, I'm a bit, I'm a bit pissed off because uh, we were we were very close to getting Tara Strong on the show, 
Um, but now she's part of the fucking MCU. Dude, we're never, we're, we're never going to get her. We're never going to get her. We're never going to get her. She said yes, Dude. and then we had to change the schedule, and it didn't happen. I actually spoke to Tara, her fucking self, and she was like, yeah, I'll come on. And now you can't get hold of her because she's Miss Minutes. In- yeah, I know, right? Miss Minutes. Uh, and there's, there, there apparently there's more to Miss Minutes than people think because there's there's that scene where it's like are you are you alive or are you a program she's like a bit of both yeah both. yeah i don't know i'm thinking her and ultron meet up at weekends and have dirty, dirty. <laughs> um before because we've we've been going a while and i'm gonna fall asleep on you eventually um have you caught up with any of the rick and morty yet no i'm i'm staying away from it because okay they, they release it really fucked up over here yeah they're like they're like we'll put on channel four for one evening and then it's gone I, I cannot wait for you to catch up because there's just so much to talk about. There's a lot of brilliant shit. There was an episode um that was just like my wife didn't like it too much. And we'll get more into it when you eventually get to see it. But I think it's like the third or fourth episode of the season. And I, I want to get your take on it. I thought it was brilliant. Like, once again, Rick and Morty is so brilliant that even episodes I don't like, I go back and rewatch and I end up loving like the train episode, all the ones I, I didn't like in the beginning. Now I love them. And this is one of those episodes. That I'm glad I kind of caught it as it was going because I fell in love with it as I was watching it, even though it was just so mm. confusing. You, uh, once again, I don't want to spoil anything. So let me know when you start catching up and we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. How about it? I may, I may acquire them. Yeah. The yeah. Weekend. We know yeah. people. We know people. We know people. We know uh, Miss Minutes. <laughs> I don't have any artwork to bring up for you guys because we're still working on it. It's still early, but I can definitely, I've just told George, and I can tell you guys that Pod Aid is what is happening on the tw- on the 29th of September, our 24-hour podcast. I just told you about it, mid, in, in, but I'll tell you about it again. 29th of September, 9 a.m., we're going to go live, uh, and we're not going to stop until 9 a.m. on the 30th, which is International Podcast Day. The guys from International Podcast Day know what we're doing. They're very impressed. They're coming on the show as well to speak to us. Uh, we have our main sponsor, is in reach they've branded us pod aid they've done some amazing work making logos for us the logo is fucking phenomenal but what, mm. i need to wait permission before i show it off um there's lots going on there are the, the guests that we're getting on are just fucking phenomenal um guys we need your support okay because there's going to be lots of changes we're going to have new social media pop up we're going to have like a, a separate youtube channel i believe put together and we need all of your support so please pay attention to what's going on there'll be lots of information for you to take in soon um and you can also of course go to our website to find everything out yeah, um, our website, which is YouSuckNetwork.com. Hey, guys, um, we have a website. We have a website. We have a website. YouSuckNetwork.com is where the house, the the home, the everything, the hub for all of the amazing shows on our network. Like this one, What's the Difference with Alan Tom, where we bring on the most interesting guests, like Jeffrey Wiseman, for fuck's sake. How amazing was he? Um, we also have You Suck Chronicles with Jamie Westwood and Tom Stevens. They... Uh, do a little bit of a similar thing but they have a little bit different flair to them and then they have different guests and it's an amazing show they're a couple best friends that started a podcast and it's brilliant um we have wednesday night live every wednesday night at uh hold on let me think about this uh 9 p.m uk 9 p.m uk uh that's before p.m us eastern standard time and we also have the newly released show is it not been released yet it will be released on the 14th 14th. um which is yelling 
Black Clouds with Eric Fluger and Alex Whiteley, where Alex Whiteley presses the record button and runs away from the microphone as fast as humanly possible because the man, the legend Eric Fluger, could spit a yarn that is 20 miles long. You don't want to get in the way of that or you'll be crushed by his amazing talk. Um, so definitely keep your eyes open for that. Um, and all these amazing shows are put on our website, and it was built for us by the great people over at WebOrchard.com. Um, so WebOrchard.com, guys, is the uh, obviously the guys that built us our website, but they are just phenomenal at it. A lot of like third party, you know, apps and websites. Like you can build your own website, you can totally do it. Don't worry, we we believe in you. Bullshit. They don't. They don't really believe in you. They just want you to pay for it. But guess what? If you're gonna pay for something, why not pay for the best? And do you know who is the best? WebOrchard.com. They are the best. Just go to usucknetwork.com right now and check out that website. And if you think that it's excellent, that's because they built it for us. Um, whether you have an OnlyFans, you want a picture of your cats, you have an Etsy, whatever it is that you have, you need an online presence. Using social media is never going to be good enough, unfortunately. Like, you know, it's it's just not enough. People want to know you're serious. And nothing says you're serious better than having a website. So if you are looking to have a better online presence, reach out to webwatch.com and drop our name. Say, hey, uh, you suck boy sent me. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, borderline. Right, let's get out of here before this guy, this boy, passes out on me. <laughs> I just read your message, by the way. He messaged me. He's like, "I don't think I could do the later lounge. I haven't got it in me, and I've only just seen it now after we've been going for an extra five minutes on the show." But um, this has been what's the difference podcast. I'm uh, Jeffrey Wiseman. <laughs> oh no, I'm Tom Bruno. Sorry, I forgot. No, you're, you're not Tom Bruno. You, I'm Alex so? Whiteley. Oh, Rob Bruno. Rob no, Bruno? Was it? Tom Bruno? I'm Alex Whiteley. I'm Tom Bruno. And let's get the fuck out of here, pizza. When it comes to culture either side of the Atlantic, no one does it better. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you You Sucks What's the Difference podcast with Alex Whiteley and Tom Bruno.